You're listening to Snooze Live, podcasting from the outdoor and fitness industry's news leader. Wake up to real news. This edition is brought to you by the North Face. Never stop exploring. This is James Mills. Distance runner Diane Van Deren has overcome a lot to become one of the top competitors in the sport. After a long battle with epilepsy, she's now leading a field of athletes through the most grueling events in the world. Running races in excess of 50 miles, the ultra-marathon runner balances her life in athletics as both a wife and a mother of three. In April 2007, she was the lead female finisher at the first running of the McNaughton Trail 150, the longest ultra-marathon in the U.S. That's no small accomplishment, especially considering she was the sole female and among only 11 out of 48 starters to cross the finish line. Snooze Live connected with Van Deren by phone while she was on vacation a few hours from her home in Colorado. Diane, welcome to Snooze Live. Great. Thanks for having me on, James. Well, you've got a pretty illustrious career, and I think you're best known as a long-distance runner, but as I understand, you started your career out as a professional tennis player. Now, how did you make the transition from a court sport like tennis to an endurance sport like marathon running? You know, that's a great question. Um, I, I did play professional tennis for years. I left high school early and decided I wanted to go on the pro tour. And after doing that for many years and then came home and got into running and marathons and eventually got into trail running. And I love the aspect of being able to run on the dirt, run in the mountains, and being in the outdoors. And that is really where my ultra-distance running became. I've always been athletic and running and, and doing all types of different activities, but really my ultra-distance running, really the last three years I've been running very strong, and um, I'm very fortunate to be a North Face-sponsored athlete and uh, running professionally for them. One of the things that I find really interesting as well is that after the birth of your third child 17 years ago, you were diagnosed with epilepsy, and for 10 years you suffered rather debilitating seizures. How did you overcome that, and how much of that imposes on your life now as a part of your recovery? You know, epilepsy, uh, first of all, just to kind of clarify, epilepsy affects 1 in 50 children and 1 in 100 adults. And epilepsy is caused from diabetes, meningitis, brain injury, uh, tumor, stroke. And none of those were the reasonings of my, my epilepsy. Mine was caused that I did have one seizure at 16 months of age. I was very ill, James, and... Um, the seizure that I had as, at 16 months of age while I was in the hospital lasted over an hour. And then 24 years later, my seizures reoccurred. And um, for 10 years, I had uncontrolled seizures. And that is when I was diagnosed with epilepsy. Wow. Yes. And so how did you overcome it? It sounds like it's not something that's giving you much difficulty now. Well, now it doesn't. But I have to tell you, 10 years ago, I wasn't even able to take a bath. Uh, my role as a mother was reversed. Um, what, when I was two weeks into my third pregnancy and my seizures reoccurred, and then I had these seizures for 10 years, James, and here I am a mother, a wife, an athlete, and I'm trying to raise these three small children. And my role as a mom was to take care of these children, but it was reversed because my seizures became more and more, and they were uncontrolled. And for 10 years, I tried every medication that was available for seizures, and nothing worked. And after 10 years of trying every medication that was available, I ran out of choices, James. And I got with a doctor, and I said, okay, now what? I've tried every medicine available. What are my choices? And that is when he talked about um, 
a surgery that's available for people with epilepsy. But you have to remember that um, with epilepsy, many parts of the brain can seize at the same time. And my goal and my focus was to find out if my seizures came from one area of the brain that would be operable. And I had to go through some extremely, extremely invasive testing to see if I could be a candidate for this brain surgery. And 10 years ago, they saw the right side of my head open and removed the part of my brain. Now, it wasn't cancer. It was damaged nerve tissue from the seizures. And they removed the size of a kiwi out of my right temporal lobe. And James, my last seizure was the night before my surgery. And so here I am running uh, some of the most enduring events all over the world. You've obviously come a long way, both literally and figuratively. In fact, in April of 2007, you were the only woman to finish the McNaughton Trail 50 in Pekin, Illinois, and you were also one of only 11 finishers overall. Now, what was about that race that made it so challenging? You know, uh, when I did this race last year, um, it was the McNaughton 100. It was a 100-miler, and I was fortunate that I was chosen um, on the Today Show as Extraordinary Mom and they were honoring me the week before Mother's Day. And so the Today Show came out, and they filmed me doing this 100-mile race, and um, the story was being told through my children's eyes. And then the race director increased the miles up to a 150-mile race this year, which is the longest ultra race that uh, we have here in the U.S. And um, the memories were so good when I did that last year that I wanted to go ahead and try the 150-miler, I wanted to push myself. I wanted to see what my body could do beyond 100 miles. And, and that was my goal, just to go out there and do one mile at a time and, and see what I could endure. You know, it's interesting. Living up here in Colorado, I get to train at Pikes Peak. I get to train ten to 14,000 feet at altitude way up in the mountains. And you cannot be deceived that you're going to go into Illinois and run 150 miles through these beautiful farming communities and hills and parks and it really was probably one of the, one of the hardest races I've run, and, um, and especially being 150 miles. The conditions were horrendous. I was literally wet almost the whole time. I mean, it poured rain. Um, there was snow. We had some small creek beds that we had to run through, and the course got so wet. There were some places that literally I was just crawling up um, some of the embankments because um, the conditions of the course, and that is why with 49 people at the start, um, a lot of people didn't even get past mile 70 or 80 because the conditions got so, so horrific. And when you run a course like that, and, and I go into a race going, okay, I have 150 miles to run, I go into it thinking, okay, i got to do this in less than 48 hours. And that way my expectations are, are not, um, if I'm not moving as fast on the, you know, on the second 50 miles as I was the first 50 because of the weather, then you just need to work with it. And I think that is something as an ultra-athlete um, that you just really encounter all types of environments and conditions and whatever Mother Nature throws out there at you, you have to accept it, and you got to work with her. You can't work against her, or um, she'll definitely come out ahead every time. Well, there's some also some emotional issues going on as well. On race day, your son had just chipped off to Iraq, and you'd also just recently lost your grandmother. Now, how did you manage to sort through all those emotions to even finish this event? You know, it was an incredible emotional like two weeks up before the race. And my son Michael was out in Camp Pendleton, and he was being deployed three months earlier. And when he called with that news, we were supposed to have had a wedding in June. And I told him that if he wanted to get married before he took off for Iraq, we could push the wedding date up and, and everything else. So two weeks prior to the race, I was organizing a wedding, 
I was organizing a dinner party, um, having his fiance's family come in, and then my grandmother had also passed away that week. And so we had all that going on that week, and then um, we took Michael back to San Diego, and then he was leaving from Camp Pendleton to Iraq the same day that the McNaughton 150-mile race was starting. And I had my cell phone with me all through that day because I told Michael at any chance he had an opportunity to call me, to call me. And my phone rang about an hour before the start. And as I answered the phone, it was my son, Michael. And he said to me that he was getting ready to board the plane and to head to Iraq. Well, I can tell any mother out there that that is the hardest phone call, is to say goodbye to your son as he's headed to Iraq. But after he and I had a very intimate conversation and how much I loved him and how he was being embraced by angels, I told Michael, I said, Michael, you need to go out there and do your job. And you need to take one day at a time. And, and, and stay in the moment. And that's exactly how I race. And I said, Mike, you go do your job, and I'm going to go do mine. And, Mike, this race I'm going to win for you. This race is for you. And so um, that was, I mean, I got to the starting line. I've never had tears in my eyes at a starting line before. But I could take that emotion. It, it was either going to make me or break me. And I was going to use that emotion in a good way, in a positive way, and to give me energy to continue through that race. And honestly, I knew after the first 50 miles that I was going to win that race. Um, I really knew it. I knew I had to be patient and, um, and, and to do that for Michael and, and for myself and just uh, what we've all been through as a family. Now, I think anyone who's listening to this can appreciate that you're a very tough individual, but sometimes race conditions, emotions aside, can get the best of anyone. Now, tell me about your experience last February during the Iditarod Trail Invitational. What was that event like? Yeah, that was some more emotions I got to take with me on the trail. Uh, I was very fortunate. I was doing the Iditarod Trail Invitational, um, and I was doing this with my teammate with North Face, uh, Cami Semick. And we were so excited. We were going to, um, we were uh, we were attempting to go 350 miles on the Iditarod Trail, which was the same co- course as the dog mushers. Now, we did not have dogs with us, James. People say, how many dogs did you have? We did not have dogs. But um, we were pulling sleds behind us. We had 42 pounds of food, gear, water. It's the least supported race in the, in the world. And I was doing this race for um, Craig Hospital, which is a hospital here in Denver, Colorado. And they are the top spinal cord and brain injury rehab hospital in the country. And it was Craig Hospital who helped me after my brain surgery, kind of put me back together with the impairments that I have. And I wanted to give back to them what they gave me. And so when we were out in Alaska, um, I am doing this even now for the rest of the year. I'm doing miles for a mission for Craig Hospital. And every mile that I continued and that I went, I raised more money for this hospital. And um, at mile 180, I got into some horrific ground blizzards. Um, The conditions were horrendous. My teammate got hurt on day two, so we had to evacuate her off the mountain. And eventually I ended up getting into 76 below zero temperatures. Visibility was like three feet. I couldn't see the gentleman that was in front of me as we were trying to get over Rainy Pass. And then um, we tried twice to attempt that, and the conditions were basically uh, life-threatening. So we went back down to to the base where we were staying, and and that's where I made a decision that it was time to come home. And Michael was coming home from Pendleton, and I needed to switch from pro athlete to mom to wife. And um, and I will go back next year to to Alaska and and conquer the 350 miles. Now, will you do that at that event again, or will you be doing it on your own? Um, I haven't really decided. I'm not quite sure if I'll do the event again or do it on my own and 
see if I can get my teammate to go back with me. So either or, but um, I definitely want to go back and do the 350 from the start of the Iditarod to McGrath. And um, I know I could do it. I mean, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't hurt. I wasn't injured. I was feeling great. I mean, I was feeling in the best shape and conditions. But um, when Mother Nature is that strong, and you've tried twice, and it becomes life-threatening, um, that's where good choices come into place. Tell me, what do you want people to know about you and why you run competitively? You know, when I first started racing ultra-distance running, James, um, when I did my first 50 or my first 100-mile race, I, we had these medical forms that we have to fill out. And they always say, do you have any history of seizures, heart conditions, blah, blah, blah. And I'd always say no, because I never wanted to disclose my history of epilepsy and seizures, even though... I knew I was going to be fine, but I didn't want to disclose it at the time, James, because I wanted to prove myself as an athlete. And then I wanted my story to come out when the timing was right. And after I ran these ultra-distance races for two years and was doing very, very well, and that is when I wanted to come out with my story about my epilepsy. Because to me, being a pro athlete, it's not just about the sport. Um, success to me is going to be able to, how can I give back what I've been given? I mean, look at what I can do and look at where I was 10 years ago when I couldn't even take a bath. And so that's why really my legs serve as my words. And I love speaking all over the country to schools, to conferences, to athletes. I mean, whatever that is, because we all in our lives are going to endure some type of trial in our lives and how we're going to recognize that and deal with that really depends on the individual and that's why I do speak about my epilepsy and what I've been through because that to me is a way to give back. Well thanks for talking to us today. Sure you bet I really enjoyed that thank you so much for um, giving me a voice. Van Deren and her running partner Cami Semek continue to raise money and awareness for the treatment of traumatic brain injury. To learn more or to make a donation visit their website at www.milesforamission.com. For Snooze Live, this is James Mills. Snooze Live is a production of Snooze Production Studios. Our theme music is provided by the band Hot Buttered Rum. This podcast was brought to you by the North Face Flight Series. Flight Series products feature ultralight and technical apparel, footwear, and equipment, especially designed to help outdoor athletes go farther, faster. Flight Series. To learn the benefits of advertising on Snooze Live or to share your questions, comments, or criticisms, write to us at snoozelive at snoozenet.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope to become one of your regular downloads. Until next time, take care.